announcements. Let's jump into Luke 24. Excited to, to talk about what's this whole idea of Easter? And just talking with people on the, on the way in and people on the way out from the first service, just, just talking to people. In. And, and there's, there's people here this morning that'll be from all walks of life. I mean, there are some people in here this morning, you come to celebrate Easter as somebody who was basically born in the church. Like you were born on a pew, okay? Hopefully not literally, you were born, that'd be weird, right? But, but you, you were like raised in the church your whole life. You've been coming to church your whole life. You've loved Jesus your whole life. And this is kind of your thing, man, Easter, it's good to celebrate. Uh, there are others you hear this morning and, and this is newer for you. you. You've just recently been seeking and, and God drew your heart. You've been coming to church for a while now and you've had what you could only describe as an encounter with God. And you try to tell other people, man, I've just, I've just met Jesus. Like he, he's changed my life in a, in a way I never thought possible. Man, I didn't know what church was about before, but man, there's this group of people that love me and I love them and we're walking together and seeing God do these incredible things. And, and so you're excited to be here on Easter. There are some of you here this morning, you're still searching. You're still looking. And then there are some of you here this morning and, and you were dragged here by a friend. You were, you were bugged so much for the last two weeks. The person kept giving this invite card going, you gotta come to Easter. You gotta come to Easter. Like, okay, I'm coming. Right? They, they bribed you with lunch after. Or, or maybe you're here, you're like, you, you brought your surf shorts because you thought you were going swimming over here. The, the April Fool's actually brought you to church, right? <laughs> so I'm glad you're all here. I, whatever your situation is, I'm glad you're here. Because why are we here? We're here to celebrate Easter. What is that? It's a celebration of a risen Jesus. That, that we know that 2,000 years ago, history will tell us that, that Jesus Christ was, was tortured and crucified on a cross. In a moment that was so devastating for so many people. For, for those who have been following Jesus, it, it was like the cruelest April Fool's joke you could imagine here, their, the hope, the, their hope for the world, they, they placed it all on this guy, Jesus. They'd hoped that he was that coming king that was prophesied and promised all throughout history. They'd hoped that he was the one who was coming when, when God promised Adam and Eve in the garden, when they chose to go after their own kingdom instead of following God's kingdom and sin entered the world and brokenness and death and disease and destruction and hatred and murder come and they were promised that a rescuer was gonna come. And they're hoping that Jesus was that rescue. The, they were hoping that he was the one promised to Abraham that would come and bless the nations. They were hoping he was the one promised to David as this coming king that would be king forever and rule with peace and grace and power. And they watched this rescuer, they watched this Messiah, this, this coming promised king hung on a cross like a convicted criminal, placed in a tomb, dead. I mean, their hope was dead. That, that was their Friday. That, that was their Saturday. But then things changed on Sunday, praise God. I mean, what, what the Bible said was happening on the cross at that, that moment on that, that Friday is that, that your sin, my sin, that separates us from God, your sin and my sin that, that brings shame into our lives, that brings darkness, that brings hurt and broken relationships and but ultimately, the biggest, hardest thing about our sin is that it separates us forever from a holy God. We, we can't be connected to God. We, we can't work our way past this sin and brokenness. And if I work hard enough, maybe then I'll get to a place where I can meet with God. And, and we can't take care of that on our own. We can't take care of the, the shame. We can't take care of the sin. But on the cross, Jesus takes it all on himself. Himself. 
Literally, he took his sin upon himself. What happened on the cross in that, that moment as Christ hung on the cross, that all of our sin, sin past, sin present, sin future, was placed on Jesus Christ, that he took the just wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin, because we've rebelled. He takes it all on himself. And in that moment when God draws your heart to him and you place your faith in that gift of salvation, that, that there's something that happens called this, this great exchange where we get to take our sin and brokenness and shame, give it to Christ. He takes it all on himself on the cross and then he gives us his perfection. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us new life. But we have to believe it. We have to accept it. We have to accept that that, that tomb was no longer full of Jesus, that that tomb was empty, that he rose from the death. And, and the reason why that's so important is because Jesus rose from the dead to prove that the cross worked. That, that, that exchange of our sin for his righteousness, that it was accepted. And so the, the empty tomb, it's like this, this sermon that God's preaching loud and clear to all of us that says, hey, what Jesus did on the cross paid for your sin. And he says, now I want you to reorient your whole life around him. I want you to give your life to him. This means that, that Easter is not just about Jesus, but Easter is also about us. Something that Jesus did for us. I mean, it's why Jesus in John 11 says to his disciples, he looks at me and says, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, they will have life. I mean, how awesome of a promise is that? How, how encouraging and hopeful of a promise is that? that? That when we're surrounded by sin and shame and guilt and brokenness and discouragement and fear, and, and that Jesus steps into that and he says, listen, whoever believes in me will have life. I mean, that's what Easter's all about. Now, as we jump into Luke 24 here, I gotta say this right away, this, this whole idea of Jesus raising from death to life is a hard concept to grasp. It's hard to believe. I mean, it would be really nice to believe that, that Jesus could raise from the dead and take care of my sin and shame. It would be really nice to believe that there's life after death yeah, it'd be really nice to believe that Easter cream eggs were an excellent source of vitamin C as well, right? Like, wouldn't that be great? The idea of the resurrection, it sounds crazy. So, so crazy, I love that the, uh, the Apostle Paul, he was writing a letter to the, to the Christians in Corinth, and he writes this letter in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. He says, if the resurrection isn't real, we're the biggest fools of all time. If the resurrection isn't real, it makes sense that we celebrate this year, Easter, on April Fool's Day, because if the resurrection isn't real, he says, Christians should be pitied the most. The, the world should look in on Christians who give their life to this and say, really, really? Christians are nice, but they're not that bright. Th that's what Paul's saying. So there's two things we need to answer when it comes to a day like today. When it comes to Easter, the first question we have to answer is this. Did it really happen? Did Jesus really raise from the dead? And the, the second question that we have to answer that comes out of that, if yes, he did, if Jesus really did raise from the dead, what does it mean? 
I mean, it's such an important question because here's the deal. If Jesus really did raise from the dead, Easter can't just be this warm, fuzzy holiday that we kind of get together with and have fun with family. And listen, if Jesus really rose from the dead, it has to radically change things. So let's take a look at the first question then. Did this really happen? Did he really raise from the dead? Look at verse 1 of chapter 24 in Luke. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. So these, there's these women going to the tomb with these spices they had. Now, why are they bringing spices to a tomb? Like, are they cooking at the tomb? Like, what's going on? Here's what's happening. In, in that culture, what they would do, burial was a two-stage process. You would first put the body, the dead body, in a tomb, and you would let the natural process of, of decomposition happen until after a year or so, nothing was left but the bones. Then you take those bones, you put them in a little special box, and they may stay in the tomb. You may have another place for them. And so what you do, you're bringing spices. They're bringing spices to stop the body from stinking, right? To, to stop it from smelling in the process of decomposition. So here they come with the spices for Jesus' dead body, but look at verse 2. And they found the stone, the stone that was in front of the tomb. The stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling, dazzling apparel, and, and they were frightened. They bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, the, the other followers of Christ, the disciples, and, and to the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping beside and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Here's what's going on here. They, they come to the tomb. Why are they coming there? Because they're expecting to find the body of Jesus, but he's not there. Right? A couple of angels meet them there and say, why are you looking for the dead among the living? And they run off to tell the other followers, hey, hey Jesus' body isn't there anymore. He's, he's risen. Now, here's the thing. Easter is the most central thing about Christianity. It's, it's more important than Christmas, than even Good Friday, because if Easter is not true, then none of this other stuff matters. Jesus was just another false Messiah. Messiahs came before Jesus. Messiahs came after Jesus. What would happen is these false Messiahs would come. They would die. Usually it would be like their brother or their son would kind of try to take over the, 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 what they were doing or they would die and just the thing would fizzle out. And so, so Easter, Easter shows us, listen, Jesus wasn't just another Messiah. He wasn't just another political leader. He wasn't just a, a great teacher that died. But Easter says, no, he was God the Son and his death takes care of our sin and our shame, and he brings new life. So, so when you look at Christianity, it becomes so obvious that this, this whole thing hinges on an historical event. Now, that's different from every other religion. It's different from every other, every other life philosophy because here's the thing. You can't really prove another philosophy of life wrong because as soon as you say, well, I don't think that way of doing life is the right way, someone can say, well, it may not be right for you, but it's right for me. 
And it's, it's kind of hard to come up against that, right? But here's the thing. Christianity stands up and says, hey, you can prove this wrong. All you need to do to prove Christianity wrong is go find the body of Jesus. Just disprove the resurrection and all of this falls apart. And Luke here, he's saying, hey, listen, here's an historical event that happened. And he, he even uses the names of the women who went to the tomb. He didn't say, oh, yeah, and there were these women, some of them, and, and there were the, some other people that, that saw this happen. He goes, no, 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 it was Mary Magdalene. Remember that, the, the former prostitute? It was, it was the other two Marys were there as well, the mother of James and the Mother of Joseph, there was also Joanna, he says. She, she, history tells us that Joanna was the wife of an administrator for King Herod. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that, that Luke's putting these details in here? Because this, Luke is writing this historical account about 40 to 50 years after Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, now, imagine it then. So imagine 40 years ago. Imagine if a book came out today and said, hey, in the late 70s, Shakespeare rose from the dead and appeared to a bunch of people in your old hometown. What would you think? You wouldn't immediately say, well, it's written in a book. It must be true. Wow, Shakespeare, unbelievable. No, you, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't also just disbelieve it. What would you do? If it was from your hometown, if it was just in the late 70s, you'd be like, man, I'm going to go to my hometown. I'm going to call my parents. Like, I, I don't remember them ever talking about this. Like, wouldn't they have mentioned something like that if this happened in our hometown? What would you? You would go. You would drive there. You would find these people. Hey, I'm finding this, this Mary. I'm finding these other Marys. I'm, I'm finding this Joanne. I, I want to find them. And I want to ask them. Hey, hey, do you remember this happening? Do you, do you remember when, when Shakespeare came out and he was like, for 40 days, I guess he walked around and taught people and he, he met with like two or three people sometimes and 12 people sometimes and, and at once he, he met with 500 people. Like, were you there? Do you remember that? I'd be like, no, that never happened. I don't remember it at all. What, what would happen to that book? That book would just be gone, right? And yet here, Luke lays it out and says, here are the people. You can go ask him. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, a book written only 20 years after the resurrection, only 20 years later, he even says in it, here's all the people that, that saw Jesus and he challenges them. Go talk to them. Go ask them about it. So when people say, well, I don't know, I think these things are written, they're written so many years later, we don't know if they're true, maybe they're just making this stuff up, maybe it's just like a, a legend they're creating or a religion they're making up, and what are we saying? We're saying that the thousands of people who would have read these writings would have said, oh, it's in a book, I guess we got to believe it. I'll give my whole life to this. What, what are we saying? We're saying that people were fools, that people wouldn't bother to go and check if there was an empty tomb. That people wouldn't actually ask some questions. He, here's why this is important. There was, there was a, a professor. He was the chair of history at Oxford. His name is Thomas Arnold. He's one of the most renowned scholars of, of history and historical facts. And he said this about the resurrection. He said, I've been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of, of mankind which is proved better 
by fuller and better evidence of every sort than the fact that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. I mean, Easter makes us look at this and say, did it really happen? Like, not did it happen in your heart, but did it happen for real? Here's the thing, eyewitnesses even to it found it hard to get their heads wrapped around. Even the followers of Jesus Christ find it difficult. I mean, I think we have this way of reading the Bible and we think, well, people back then were so much more gullible. Like they would see somebody who was dead and now alive and they'd be like, well, of course they are because we don't know science and stuff. So it must have just, right? That's kind of how we assume it would be. We read here, that's not how it is at all. They were just as dumbfounded as you and I would be. They didn't believe in the resurrection any more than we would have. They go to the, the tomb, the, the, these women do, because they think Jesus is dead. He's not dead and they're skeptical about it. It says they're perplexed by it. Now, how do I know that they're skeptical? Because they didn't stop and go, wow, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's make a holiday. We should call it Easter. Someone get a guitar. Let's lead some songs. Like they didn't do that, right? They're like, no, this doesn't make sense. They, they run and tell the disciples, this doesn't make sense. They're perplexed when they tell the disciples, what do the disciples think? It says in verse 11, they think it's an idle tale. I mean, these were guys who followed Jesus for three, three and a half years, and yet they'd seen him beaten and tortured. They saw him hung on a cross to die. They saw a sword go into his side, up through his lung to his heart, where blood then rushed out. They saw him laid in a tomb, dead. When you see somebody die, if you've seen someone die, do you, do you remember the, the feeling of finality? And, and these guys aren't just seeing someone die. They're seeing someone being tortured in pain and dying. I mean, it was the end for them. They were devastated by Good Friday. And so this idea that, that he was now alive, it seemed like a fairy tale. Like, no way. That can't be true. Look at verse 36. It says this, as they were talking about these things, or, uh, here they're talking, they're talking about Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know. Could it be true? I don't think it can be true. People don't just rise from the dead. Not, look what it says. Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Yeah, good thing to say, right? Because here you are talking about this person you thought was dead and he just appeared. So Jesus just appeared to them. He didn't come in the doorway. He didn't knock. He's just like, there he is, right? The first words would be like, guys, relax. Peace to you. Like good skeptics, though, they still don't believe. Look at verse 37. They were startled and frightened, and they, they thought they saw a spirit. This has got to be a ghost because it can't be real. And he, and he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands. See my feet. That it's I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. They see the nail scars. It says this, while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. I think that's pretty cool. That's kind of like Jesus saying, this is real. I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't eat. I'm starving. It's been three days since I've had something to eat. Guys, give me some fish and some bread, Right? I love that line, though. In verse 41, it says, they disbelieved for joy. What's that mean? It means they, they're looking at this saying, this is too good to be true. There's no way that Jesus could have raised from the dead again. 
But here's the thing. These guys actually go on to give their lives to this truth. They, they would die for this. Not just a group of people making up a, a religion. They, they die for the truth of the resurrection. What they say, man, this is too good to be true, but it's true. The, the Roman Empire then comes after these guys to torture them, to kill them, to, to get them to recant about the resurrection, to say, you tell the world you are lying about this, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't recant. It's, it's why historians and skeptics and, and people who come against Christianity, they can't explain how the early church rose like it did. I mean, think about it, the, the earliest Christians. They were, they were a persecuted sect. That's all they were. All the disciples but John were martyred for their faith. I mean, to say that, well, they just made up this story. They, they just made up all these stories about Jesus. It's, it's like really, really, they were sitting around one day and Peter goes, I got it. I know what we can do. Let's tell people that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and, and if we do that, we'll get to be leaders of this, this, new, this new faith, this new religion. And, and we'll tell people that Jesus rose as a king, but not a king of this world, but a king of another world. So, so we're going to give everything away. And, and when, when people try to kill us, we'll let them kill us because we serve Jesus and, and maybe, just maybe, guys, if we're lucky, if we're lucky, we'll all get martyred through, through painful, humiliating deaths, us and our whole families. And the disciples are like, that sounds amazing. We're in. Let's do it. Doesn't make sense, does it? You don't, you don't die for a lie that you made up. You don't die for something you know not to be true. These guys believed it because they saw Christ. They saw him risen and everything changed for them. Listen, this morning, everything about your life needs to hinge on this same confrontation. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you have got to give your life to him. Because here's the thing, Easter's either a silly religious holiday or Jesus really did rise from the grave. But it can't be a, a nice holiday if he didn't rise from the grave. You, you need to either this morning even say, listen, I believe it, I accept it, my life has changed because of it, or you reject Jesus completely. Those are the only two options. We don't have the option to say, well, it's a, a nice little thing that I think I'll follow. There's a confrontation that, is this really real? Because following Christ is not about being a good person. The, the cross shows us clearly that none of us are good people. We can't earn God's favor. If you could earn God's favor, then, then Christ's death on the cross, he would have died for nothing. Nothing. But, but we see in the cross that Jesus came to rescue us. And, and there's a freedom in that, isn't there? There's a freedom that says you don't have to be perfect to show up and accept the grace of Jesus Christ. You, you can rest and, and recognize that you and I are flawed people. We mess things up. We're broken people. We, we carry with us guilt and shame from our past. We miss the mark every day. As people who say they follow Christ, still broken and messed. There are people here with, with a past and, and with sin even now that they wouldn't want anybody to know about. But it's so liberating to know that God says you can't make the mark. It's great to know that all the books and all the blogs you can read about how to be the perfect parents, 
how to raise the best kids, how to, how to have the perfect marriage, how to be the best Christian, all those. Here's the mark you've got to meet. That we can say, God doesn't hold me to that standard. When you look on social media and you see all the other perfect families, right? Because we lie on social media. Nobody puts up real pictures, right? This morning, you'll take the picture of your kids all lined up and happy Easter with our happy family. But no one takes the picture of the drive to church when dad's doing the swing back and going, sit down. And the kids are, I hate you. I don't want to go to church. And the wife's yelling, you come in and it's icy out there. Like, how come they don't sand this? And so you curse and swear on your way. And nobody takes those pictures. But Facebook, you don't do that, right? Let the freedom, the freedom of Easter blow through that mess. You don't have to be perfect because, listen, Jesus was perfect for you. Yes, you're broken and sinful and you have no hope in yourself to ever meet the mark of perfection and holiness that God demands. But listen, God loved you first and Jesus became sin for you that you could have his perfection. And you might be sitting here this morning carrying with you an unbelievable burden. Maybe it's sin and bad choices. Maybe it's, it's, it's relationships that you've hurt and you carry the, the weight, the shame. So much shame that it's difficult to even come to church. But Easter is the evidence of, of the power of Jesus' forgiveness for you. That Jesus lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, that you should have lived, but you couldn't do it. Then he died the death that each of us deserved to die so that the cross took care of that sin and shame. And it's on the cross that God says all the promises, all the hope that you have in Jesus Christ is yours. I mean, Jesus says, peace to you. Peace. Peace between you and God. No more guilt, no more shame, no more brokenness, no more death, no, no more hiding it and faking it. I mean, the, the resurrection is this uh, uh, objective proof, evidence that our past sin and shame has been covered. It's been paid for, all of it. If it hadn't been paid, Jesus would still be in the ground. But the fact that he's risen again as a conquering king, it shows he's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered Satan. I think the, the great irony in, in, in our culture right now the, is that the mantra that we have, that we say is that I do life the way I want to do life. I'm going to live the way I want to live it. And, and yet the fruit of that mantra is, is exhaustion and weariness. I mean, trying so hard to, to find hope in ourselves, trying so hard to find hope in what we do, our work or our schooling, trying so hard to grasp other people and say, you're going to be my hope. And when they fail us, we, we, we grab harder and we hurt relationships. And it's so tiring, it's so exhausting. And God steps into that and he says, listen, it's not about you. I've called you, God says, into the story of my kingdom, into the story of the universe, and, and I'm calling you to receive my grace, he says, and become part of that story. So this morning, you have an opportunity to, to be here as a, a trophy of God's grace. That's what we're celebrating. That Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated death. He, he purchased your soul. He adopted you as a son and daughter. He's forgiven you completely. But listen, only for those who embrace this by faith. 
embrace the grace and repent of their sins. I mean, the earlier followers, they had hoped that this coming king would come and take care of Rome and set them free from Roman oppression. And Jesus says, I've come for way more than that. Your hopes are too small. He didn't want to save them from Rome. He wanted to save them from hell. He didn't come as a a political leader to free them politically. He came to free them spiritually. And, And the reality of Easter is that it pushes on all of this to say, is this really true? Can I really be set free? Because if it's really true, then it changes everything. You see, the followers of Jesus Christ, these early followers, so believed it, so put their hope in it, that everything changed for them. So the question then this morning is this, where's your hope? Where do you put your certainty? What do you put your faith in? When I say faith, and I say put your faith in Christ, I'm not saying a blind faith. It's a, and faith in Christ is never a close your eyes and just jump kind of faith. No, it's seeing the evidence. It's seeing the, the amount of prophecy that was fulfilled in Christ. Even just in his death alone, almost 30 specific prophecies fulfilled in Christ's death. Mathematically impossible for you to just have that happen by fluke. And so when we say we place our faith in a historical event, we place our faith in what that means, it's it's, it's It's us coming to what we think is unbelievable but seeing what's undeniable. And when when that unbelievable meets the undeniable, that's a faith, and we put our hope in that. It's my question again, what's your hope in? Is your hope in your ability to make a a good life for yourself? I mean, what what happens when things go wrong? What what happens when sickness comes? What happens when death comes? What happens when relationships fail you? What what happens when things don't go the way you're hoping they would go? And that was your foundation. And, you know, in Proverbs, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That, That means there's nothing worse than what you place your hope in to have it disappear out from underneath you. Because you're left with nothing then. And these guys hear this. I'm not anchoring my hope on anything else, but I'm going to anchor my hope on this. I'm going to anchor my hope in this resurrection of Jesus Christ, a hope that death cannot take away, a hope that sickness cannot take away, a hope that fear cannot take away, a hope that disease and deprivation can never take away, and it sustained them even as they face death. So again, where's your hope? To have this lasting hope, it, it begins as we move toward Jesus. to be set free from hopelessness, to be set free from doubt, to be set free from sin and shame and guilt and fear, to be set free from religion and the exhaustion of trying to live up to standards, trying to, trying to make our own hope happen. The, res- the way this happens is when we release our hope in ourselves. We release our hope in our possessions, in our things, in our identity, and we make that move towards Christ. The Bible calls it Repentance. Repentance is just this idea of I turn. So I'm going in a particular way. I'm putting my hope in, in particular things and, and I, I come up against the, the reality of Easter and in that moment I turn. 
I repent. Repent means I've changed my mind. Uh, I'm changing the way I think about things now because I've seen Jesus Christ as the risen king, so my mind is going to think things differently. It's a change of heart. My, my heart's going to believe different things. What I used to put my hope in, what I used to go after, and this made me feel like I, was, I, was, I had identity, I had purpose. Man, that's not my hope anymore. I'm repenting of that. I'm turning towards the reality of the cross. It's also a turning of action. Everything changes when you move towards Christ. When you grab the reality of Easter that Christ rose from the grave, everything changes. We turn, we repent, we pursue Jesus Christ. It's in that moment, it's in that moment where, where we thought was a fairy tale, where we move from this can't be real to I can't believe this is my reality. And maybe that's you, you here this morning where you, you're saying this sounds too good to be true. That, that all of my shame, all of my sin, all of this could be taken care of, that, that my hope could be sure. That's why Jesus endured the cross. That's why he took himself upon himself the sin of the world. He did it to restore you. He did it to rescue you, to bring life to you. And this same Jesus who was raised from the dead, this same Jesus who conquered death, who brings forgiveness, can change your life forever. This morning, we're going to end off with the ushers coming forward, and they're going to hand out communion. And we're going to celebrate communion together. Now, now why is that something we'd want to do on Easter? Well, first, let me say this. If, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning... And after hearing all this, you, you're still saying, you know what, I still don't believe it's true. I have no desire to follow this. I'm just here putting in time for my family. Then just let the communion stuff go by. This isn't for you. And, and no one's watching. No one's going to keep score of who took and who didn't. But this is for those who know Christ to celebrate the reality of what this means. And as they hand it out right now, you'll notice there are two cups. Grab both of them. They're stacked on top of each other. The bread's in the bottom cup. Now, what's the deal with communion? Because here's the thing. If you, if you don't know Christ this morning, and I said this isn't for you, it could be for you. This could be a celebration for you. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You see, Jesus had Passover meal with his disciples the night before he was betrayed. And what Passover was, it was this, this remembrance of when, as, a, as an Israelite, you were rescued from Egypt. How God stepped in and rescued them from Egypt. And, and you remember that, that night in Egypt where God said to them, listen, the angel of death is going to come. Here's what I want you to do. Take a lamb into your house. Sacrifice that lamb. Put its blood on the doorposts. And when the angel of death comes, it will see that blood and, and it will pass over your home. That's where they get the phrase, pass over. And so for, for generation after generation, for hundreds and thousands of years, every Passover they would celebrate. And every time they'd be remembering that this lamb took my place, this lamb took my place, that, that I would have been killed, but for this lamb, this lamb. And then Jesus shows up and John the Baptist says, behold the lamb. Behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus gathers with, with his disciples at Passover and says, guys, it's all changing now. Why? Because I am the lamb. Because I've come to take away the sin of the world. So now we're going to celebrate this differently. And, and he takes the elements of Passover. And he takes bread and he breaks it. And he gives it to his disciples. He says, hey, grab a hold of this. Take this bread. Remember me. Remember that this represents my body that's given for you. Remember this. It's weird to think that we would celebrate 
remembering Christ's death. When, when you're celebrating a great person, you, you don't really celebrate their death, but here we celebrate Christ's death in communion. Why? Because he rose again. Because of what it means for us that we've been set free, that his body given for us. He then, he took the cup and he gave it to them and he said, and this, this represents my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He says, remember me with this. Here's the thing about the cup. A, a cup in Scripture normally represents the wrath of God. And you see it all through Scripture where it talks about the wrath of God. It's, it's like this cup filling up with his wrath until it pours over. And, and Jesus is saying, take this cup, this cup that represents wrath. And remember when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the night he was betrayed after Passover, and he's crying out to God the Father, and he says, if you can take this cup from me. What's he saying? I, I don't want to face the wrath because of sin of the world. He knew it was coming, how, how horrible it would be. So he's, he's praying that that cup would, would be taken. But remember how he ended his prayer, but not my will, your will be done. And Jesus took the cup of God's just wrath and he drank it fully to the bottom, completely. So listen, as, as Christ followers, we can hold the bread and remember his body was given for me in my place. We can hold the cup and we can remember that, that God's wrath was not poured out on me, but on Christ. And so I can now take this cup, which is a, a new covenant, and I can celebrate new life in Christ. And so what do we want to do this morning? Listen, if you're a Christ follower, celebrate Easter. Let this, let this moment as, as you hold the bread and hold the cup remind you of Christ's body and blood poured out for you, but that he rose again. And yeah, it seems too good to be true, but it's true. All your sin, all your shame, all your brokenness taken to the cross, set free. No longer in shame, but now called a son or a daughter of the Most High. No matter what else you believe about yourself, no matter what else you've been taught about who you are, no matter what else you've read about who you think you are, that this is solid biblical truth. You're a son or daughter of the King when you put your hope in Him. Accepted, loved, transformed. And we celebrate that. Listen, if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, how do you respond? You need to respond in the way that the disciples did, where they had to move towards Jesus. Peter had to go to the tomb and look and see for himself, and he left and said, marvel. He just marveled at it. This morning, it's, it's coming to that place where you say, I can't believe that God would love me so much that he'd take my sin and my shame and my brokenness. And he would take it on himself and then he would give me, he would give me his righteousness. He would give me new life. It's coming to that moment where, where, where you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. You say, I can't do this on my own. It's only by Christ's sacrifice. And this morning, you could partake in communion for the first time as someone says, this is my new life. This is what I want. I believe it to be true. And because it's true, it changes everything for me today. It says in scripture that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he, and he gave to them and he said, eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. It says in the same way he took the cup and he said, this represents the, my blood poured out for you. It's, it's the new covenant for you. It's a, it's a way to celebrate this new life. And so we remember and we drink together. you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us here in this room, God, that I pray that your spirit would, would do a work that only your spirit can, that you would 
speak to our hearts. Father, for those who need to be encouraged in the, in the hope of the resurrection, God, that, that, that this would be a moment of encouragement for them. Where life is hard, where life is tough, where, where things are weighing them down, Lord God, that this morning would be an opportunity to celebrate that we serve a risen king. Father, I'm even reminded of this morning, Lord, when a good friend here in our church tragically lost his brother yesterday and he texted this morning saying, we serve a risen Savior. God, in the midst of pain, in the midst of, of living in a sinful world, we can hold on to the trust we can have in you that you bring new life. God, I pray that would be the case today. Lord, I pray that this would be a resurrection Sunday for us today. Lord, for those here who who came in here unsure, who came in here not knowing, Lord. I, I pray that your spirit would rest heavy on them, Lord, that, that you're, you'd be pressing into their hearts so they could see that there is hope for them too. God, that there is new life, that, that there is no hope running after these other things. They only lead to death and destruction and disappointment and fear and brokenness and shame. But God, there is new life in you, Lord, that today could be a resurrection Sunday for them. that they would recognize that although they're more sinful than they'd ever admit, that they're more loved than they could ever imagine, that it seems too good to be true, but it's true. God, change us this morning by the truth of your resurrection. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.